Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. This is Nosebleeds, the one and only baseball podcast of WFUV Sports. We are so grateful you've joined us on this late Monday, early Tuesday, whenever it is you're listening to this. We hope late Monday, considering we're going to talk about the Home Run Derby, and we hope you haven't already seen it because then you're going to tune out <laughs> podcast early. But nevertheless, we're very grateful you've joined us uh, for this very fortuitous episode of Nose Please. we got a great trio of us here today. My name's Dylan Balsamo, obviously. And I'm here with my friends Ryan Gregware and Michael Calamari. I'll start with you, Ryan. How's it going? What's up, Dylan? Long time no see. Just kidding. We just did a show together. I'm happy to keep the train rolling and talk more baseball with you. And how about you, Michael? good i'm glad to be here i mean it's a great time for baseball i can't believe it's been halfway through already and it's gonna be a fun home run derby absolutely it is very strange that we're halfway through the baseball season i think we're gonna have to get used to we're gonna have to get back into the rhythm of 162 game season that we didn't get last year but you know as uh michael pointed out halfway through statistically actually more than halfway through every team's played it more than 81 of their 162 games so the second half of the all-star break per huge will be less than 81 games. But nevertheless, uh, for the New York teams, it was a rather fortuitous week in certain ways and rather unfortuitous in certain other ways. So we will discuss all of that today. But let's start with the Yankees, and I'll, I'll turn to you, Ryan. This was a really weird week for them. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to cue this up. Um, like, you know, it actually was a really good week, which makes it even more frustrating with the end because – We'll get into it now. Um, you know, my my mental state yesterday was was really bad. You know, I, I had to put the phone down for a long amount of time. Had to go on a walk. Had to clear my head. Um, you're you're three outs away from sweeping the Houston Astros, going into the break winning six of seven. You know, things were really looking up. Like I know we've said that a lot this year, Dylan, but this was really a moment where you could look at okay, they have an identity now. This jacket thing that I'm sure we'll get into in a minute. You know, they've been going back and forth all series. The pitching had dominated an Astros lineup that was first in average, first in OPS, first in on base. This was a really good Astros team. They take the first two, but then game three, 7-2 going into the ninth. And you had a slight feeling just because the Yankees have had some collapses this year, right? We know we know the Angels game. We know some other games throughout. And the story has been the same where they get out to a big lead and they don't continue to add on. And so when you do that, when you go three for 16 with a runner in scoring position, when you have 13 walks, when you leave 14 on base, you keep the door open for the best offense in baseball. And that's exactly what happened. And the bullpen, Herman was going out there, gave up a few unlucky infield single, then off the wall. And you go to Chad Green in that spot because, frankly, right now there's no one else to turn to. You know, Jonathan Loisica put on the COVID list before this series. Huge loss. Like, really, he would come in in this situation – we'd probably have a way better tone. We, you probably wouldn't say it was a weird week if he was in, in this game. And so Chad Green comes in, didn't have it at all. They blow a 7-2 lead to the Houston Astros. Jose Altuve hits the home run. It, it's the true nightmare doomsday scenario 
for the Yankees. There's no team you'd rather not do this year. There's no player you'd rather not have the moment than Altuve. And that on top of it makes it sting, I think, more than it really should. Because if you, if you, you know, you take a day, which I needed this day, I'll tell you. If we had to do this yesterday, it wouldn't have been pretty. <laughs> reflecting, reflecting on the trip a day later with the emotions kind of in check, taking two of three from the Houston Astros team, taking two of three from the Manners, winning four of six on this West Coast trip, it was good. And so, you know, you look at some individual things, some players we'll get into and stuff, but overall, weird, good way to put it, um, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching last game, like truly, truly testing the limits of humanity, at least in for me. And, um, you know, I guess you, you take two or three from the Astros, though. You really do. They're a really good team. They're going to be there at the end of the day, and you still go into the break with some confidence, and I think that's what the Yankees need coming up. Yeah, and Ryan, I think you, you mentioned how the, the lineup kind of fell apart uh, after the early in that game, but I mean, seven runs should still win you a baseball game, and I, I, I you definitely agree with me. But the the bullpen's got to do their job, and the Yankees are responsible for three games really where they blew it late in the game. You think about the Angels game, you think about the Mets, and then you think about this game. And Buster only tweeted this out. We were talking about this before the show, how there's 490 of games this year where a team's led by four plus runs entering the ninth inning and two of those across the entire MLB the team lost that was leading by four plus runs and the Yankees are responsible for both losses so that's a crazy stat in my opinion and it just shows you the inconsistency of this bullpen and that really showing that Astros lost the other night it, it really is is strange because, you know, I think overall, the, the point here is overall, this was a successful road trip. This was, this was a, especially for the situation the Yankees found themselves in coming into this week, you know, losing two or three to a Mets team in which they could have easily taken two or three of that series, or maybe even swept that series if things go right for them. Um, and then have to play six games on the road against six teams and against two teams that are quite good at this point. Um, to take two or three from the Mariners and to take two or three from the Astros, that's a success. Now, I've been saying this with the Yankees all year. I said it to Ryan the other day on one-on-one, but emotionally, what a difference a day makes. The difference in your projection of the Yankees between, excuse my dog in the background, but the projection of the way we feel about the Yankees from the end of Saturday's game to the end of Sunday's game went from the Yankees are back to the season's over. And it's been happening constantly Every night of the week. I've never seen anything like it. For for like 10, 11 weeks now. It's kind of crazy. Um, We also should mention what an incredible performance Garrett Cole put on on Saturday night. What was it, 129 pitches or 126? 129. 129 going the distance against the Houston Astros. The only pitcher in Major League Baseball this year to throw 120-plus pitches in a game. Crazy outing. But the the point being, the Yankees for most of this road trip – and dog has to shut up but i'll take care of that later um for the most part the yankees in this series did everything right with the exception of a handful of games yeah um that's why like i'm not ready to kill the bullpen because this team would be they would be completely out of it without the bullpen they've carried them all year and you even look at game one in this series it was a bullpen game you have nestor cortez you have lucas lukey you have green and loisica and those are guys, if you went into this year telling me those are the four names that are going to shut out the best offense in baseball, I'd say you're crazy. Um, and so Nestor Cortez, too, to your point, he's really been kind of a guy that's emerged recently. Three really good outings in a row, 1.05 ERA, 
so far this year. So if you're able to find a guy like that and he'll have to get stretched, stretched out, he went four and two thirds game one of the series. That's a huge weapon for you. Jameson Tyone has second straight, really good start following uh, the first game of the Mariners series, seven innings, one run. And then he goes six and two against this Astros team. There's, there's confidence there. You talked about Garrett Cole and I, I think I tweeted this. I don't know. I said, I really think that performance was more impressive than any of the no hitters this year. Yeah. I really do. Like if you look at the whole context of the situation, first of all, no one was available in the pen for the Yankees. Literally Chad Green pitched two innings the night before Loise got COVID. No one you rely on. You get one run of run support. You're coming off two straight bad outings. The doubts. I mean, he talked about there were never doubts. He had a great post game comment where Marley Rivera asked him, you know, does this prove the doubters wrong? He said, look at my stats, look at my numbers. And so he really did just that. He gave the Yankees everything they could have asked for. He's 129 pitches. You don't see that in 2021 baseball. It really reaffirmed all the confidence that you did have in him. And so, you know, I was never worried about the sticky stuff, all that. I don't think you were either, Dylan. Like, we've, we've talked about it. He'll get back on track. He's too good of a pitcher. He did just that. And so I think when you look at it like that, you take positives of the series. It's just how many games can they have like this? How many worse losses of the season can they have? Mike mentioned that stat. And there are other games, too, like down to their last strike versus the Tigers, one one inning away from sweeping the Twins. It's just like in an instant. And the Astros thing, very similar. It was like snap of your fingers, the game was over, and you were up five runs seven minutes before. And so it's it just frustrating on that because the, the thing that I don't want to happen with the Yankees, and I pray this doesn't, is you look at the end of the season and you can pinpoint this game, Angels game, whatever, as the reason they didn't make the playoffs. I mean, obviously, a full body of work, 162 games, the results will speak for themselves, which is why I love baseball, because you're able to lose games like this and be fine, you know, in the grand scheme of things. But they can't – they have to play catch-up right now. That's the thing. If this team was as good as we thought they'd be through this point, yes, this would be an awful loss. All, like, you can never excuse a loss like this, but you would be able to kind of sit back a little bit and be like, okay, we won four of six from the Astros this year. We're going to the break fine. Like you could lose games like this if you weren't already digging yourselves a hole. And they're four and a half back of the wild card. So they're not out of it by any means, but 70 plus games. Division's another story, but at the end of the day, they still control their own destiny with a ton of games versus the Red Sox. I think they have 11 more. So like it's, it's it sucks because you can't say the season's over. And why that sucks is the, the gymnastics that I have to do in my head is like, I could you could lose a game like that and then you still can look at it objectively and be like, okay, like this team, they can do this. There's so much time left and they have the pieces to do it. So I think when you look at it like that, it drives you crazy. It's why we've said, as you just said, Dylan, like seven different times, they are back. And then you say the season's over and inning later. And so it really is a whirlwind. I think Lindsay Adler tweeted, like, it just, I thought it was a good tweet. Like, what is the script that the, this, the Yankees team is writing? You can't figure it out. Whenever it looks like they're going in one direction, instantly going in the other and that's happened too many times this year and the inconsistencies have shown and when you're inconsistent you lose games like this so it's a really weird series I know we keep getting back to that you have to look at it with a positive light but the reactionary fan in me and like just to lose a game like that it sucks and it, it does a little bit wipe out everything they've worked on the last week yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think one of the biggest thing with the Yankees now is that when you get the Red Sox, especially coming up this weekend, these are series you're going to have to capitalize on, the divisional opponents. And these are the series you've struggled with throughout the year. The Rays are up and down when you play them. You haven't been the Red Sox yet. So if you want to make a chance or you want to make a run for this wild card, 
it's nice when you win the series against the Mariners, but it's nice when you beat the Astros in the series two out of three, but you're going to have to beat your divisional opponents. And that's what it's going to take for the Yankees to really flip this script. And it's going to take the whole team coming together and being consistently together to win this game. When the lineup's on, the pitching's not on, and then vice versa. So that's really been the story. And I think we're going to learn a lot when we get on the other side of this all-star break and see this series against the Red Sox. What is specifically on the other side of this all-star break, in case you have a look at the schedule in a little while, is, you know, after Wednesday, the Yankees and Red Sox be the only team playing on. Ridiculous. That is ridiculous, by the way. It's just, just to go in there. Like, why are they the only team? Why does 28 other teams get an extra day? You know, it's it's unfortunate, but it, it is it is good for baseball to build on the momentum of having the national spotlight during All-Star Week or at least pretending to have the national spotlight when people still really care about the NBA Finals right now. But the point is, the Yankees will have a four-game series at home against the Red Sox trying to capitalize on whatever success they had on this road trip, then a day off, two against the Phillies. Those are two games they are going to have to win at the middle of next week, and then they're going to go to Boston for another four, another day off, and then Tampa Bay and Miami interleague play to finish out the end of the month. But the point of that is, most of that is against the division, and these are games they're going to have to win, especially considering they're eight back in the division right now, Four and a half, as we mentioned, in the wild card race behind the Oakland Athletics, I believe, have the second uh, yeah. AL wild card spot going into the All Star break. But you know, for me, especially talking about a guy like Garrett Cole, you know, uh, th- there were doubts about him, and you know, unfortunately, what happened for him was that he had his two or three worst starts of the year at the worst possible time, and then it happened as the substance madness was going on, and that probably had nothing to do with it. But the fact that that was happening while the substance thing was going on and also while Rodas Chapman was collapsing, probably for that reason, it just was not a good look for him. But, you know, as we mentioned, he proved, he proved everyone wrong in this last game, 129 pitches. And, and he was fighting the whole way through, through more hundred mile hour pitches deep in the game than you're ever going to see for anyone else. But my worry is, you know, obviously he's the only guy to throw that many pitches this season. And I hope that's not for a reason, because what's actually going to be very telling about Garrett Cole is what his next start will look like. He will obviously have the all-star break to rest, and he's not going to pitch in the all-star game, so things will be fine for him. But nevertheless, that's going to be a rough next start for him, likely. That's going to – it's going to be difficult. You know, the Yankees can obviously stack the rotation any way they want to now that they have a whole week off, so he probably will start that Thursday game against Boston. Um, So that will be a very telling – Thing for him it'll be a very telling team for this Yankee squad uh to see what it is you know talking about the script of this season I can't tell if they're a team of destiny or just a 500 team. I really can't yeah but the point is uh these next few weeks will be very telling of what kind of Yankee team this, uh they will be or at least we hope so now let's talk about a team that is in a much better position coming into the uh into the all-star break and that is on the other side of town the New York Mets they are seven games above 500 this is the longest amount of time they have been in first place since, I believe, May to September of 2007. Obviously, they collapsed the division in 2007, but we'll talk about that, okay? <laughs> so the Mets are seven games over 500. They had a good draft last night, obviously, but that's a whole other conversation. This week for them was quite good. You know, took two of three from a really, really good and hot Milwaukee Brewers team. They split a series with the Pirates, which, Michael, I'll start with you here, was not the best. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that Pirates loss, especially Sunday night, is really devastating. I mean, you go into the ninth with a lead, and you kind of escape that eighth inning. I mean, bases are loaded, and Diaz gets two big punches out. 
to really send you to the ninth with a one run lead. And they bring him back out there looking for him to really replicate that. And he can't, you get three singles with two outs that give the pirates a two run, uh, a two runs in that inning and a one run lead. That's a really tough loss for the Mets, but they seemed really positive after that game. I mean, there were reports about Conforto and Lindor in the, in the clubhouse saying, you know what, this is a good first half. We played really well this first half and trying to keep the team positive. And I think it's so funny that the Mets are 47 and 40. Me and Ryan have been talking about this. The Mets are 47 and 40 and the Yankees are 46 and 43. I mean, the difference in records is so small. They're two and, games up. It's nothing. Yeah. And even intro to Dylan, like this is another team that's in a really good place. They're first in a division. I mean, a lot of it shows you the division. I mean, the NL East is not even comparable to the AL East right now. Yeah, not at all. And it's, just, it's also to show you what the Mets are content with. I mean, they're they're happy to be three and a half games in first place. And my big thing with this team is, are they going to want it enough to push through and really take a hold of this division? I mean, they've been 17 and 16 in a 33-game stretch. And I feel like they – they could have 20 plus wins in those games. And if they, I think it's how much are they going to be content with? Because if they stay complacent with three and a half games, that's going to dwindle as the nationals and the Braves continually get hot. So uh, obviously Acuna going down hurts the Braves, but they're still going to be a good team. So that's what I want to see from the Mets on the other side of the all-star break is, are they going to really take this opportunity they have to seize control of this division and then get a home field advantage in the first game of the playoffs? I think my opinion on the Mets is starting to really take shape because like I've been on the show, I've been pretty, I praise them a good amount, but now I think I'm starting to turn to this take that they're the unluckiest, luckiest team of all time. And I say unluckiest because of the injuries and you can't dispute that. I think that's why my, they are happy to be barely like seven games over 500. I think that's why they're content with this because they dealt with the, they were given the worst hand in baseball in that sense with the injury gods. But I say they're the luckiest team in baseball because of that division. It's pathetic. It is. You mentioned that 17-16. It's 16-16 the last 32. Their lead in the division has not gone down one game in that stretch. So they're able to play 500 baseball, and they're still up three and a half games. And there's no other division in baseball you could do that in. You would get killed in most divisions if you do. Imagine the NL West going 500 over 30 games. You'd be 10 games out of it. So, like, from that aspect, they're very lucky. And I think when you do look at this division, Acuna out for the year, I'm ready to count the Braves out. Um, I know that might be brash, but the, the way it's looked for them with that injury, like if they were going to turn it around, when was it going to come? The Phillies are never consistent. The Nationals can't hit. I think 86 wins, 85 wins will be enough to get in. And the Mets will hit that because they are too talented. And I think this 30-game stretch, a lot of it has to do with guys coming back. You know, they're rusty months off at a time. You have to build it back up. They're lucky that they didn't bury themselves at all. They kind of they stayed exactly afloat. And so I would honestly be shocked if the Mets don't win this division now. And I've never said this on the show. I've said they just got to keep winning games. They got to do what they have to do. And when they get back, get hot. I don't even think they need to get hot anymore. I think this division's that bad. To go on this specific series and stuff, it's, it, it goes into the point where they're very lucky to be where they're at because you can't split against the Pirates. I'm sorry. I know it's baseball. I know stuff's going to happen. Seven straight against the Pirates, that was a chance to go five and two, to really build a ton of momentum. And you started at City Field, then you split it, and you have a loss like yesterday where you go up 5 nothing in the first. The offense disappears. Questionable Rojas call, bringing in Diaz for five outs. A lot of things come together when you, you, can't, go, you can't go 500 ball against the Pirates. That's a team you got to crush. And so luckily for them, it's, it didn't kill them. 
but you don't feel great. I don't, I don't think if you're a Mets fan, you feel great right now. I think you have to look at it where you're lucky to be where you are, but also at the same time, like you should be better. You still should. You have the talent. This division is yours for the taking. Go and grab it. Why? They shouldn't be only three and a half up. They have the talent right now. They ha- like they should be running away with this thing, and to not be doing so, it's a little worrisome. I I really think it is. It is rather worrisome. I mean, this this weekend should have been a four game sweep of the Pirates. Quite frankly, um, that being said, the Mets are definitely still a favorite in this division. You know, I think they really only have to play. I'm not gonna say 500 ball, but like 600 ball should get them the division wrapped up. I mean. And, and as things come through, I mean, Michael Conforto hit his first home run in 89 major league at bats yesterday. He lost, he lost so much time due to injury. If Conforto starts hitting the way the rest of the team has been hitting lately, the division's wrapped up. Um, but that's not a guarantee, obviously. You know, uh, I'm ready to count out the Braves also. I was We were kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop with Atlanta and when things were going to pick up for them. It just never ended up happening, and it's probably not going to happen at this point. Uh, I think now is the time for the Phillies. They've been inconsistent, but they have the talent to be better teams. So perhaps this is the time to get through for them. We'll see about that. Other than that, this is the Mets division to lose, 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 lose. If you get what I'm saying. Um, the offense has been good lately. If uh, statistically they've been just fine lately. Uh, Dominic Smith has obviously been hitting well. Pete Alonso has been crushing the ball lately. Francisco Lindor finally seems to get in that right funk. He was three for three yesterday. He was on base four times. But the thing is, uh, besides the individual performances of Lindor yesterday or how well Brandon Nimmo has hit since he came back against the Yankees. This is a, you, you know how like a lot of basketball teams are a one half team. The Mets are a bit of a one inning offense in a lot of ways. I mean, we saw it yesterday um, with the five runs of the first and then nothing else happened. It kind of felt like, Oh, they had their seventh inning too early today. You know what yeah, I mean? The seventh inning Mets is a nickname. Like you, you can't yeah. one inning baseball. Yeah. Sometimes they have it in the sixth, too. It's like they like to vary it up a little bit. But the point is, that is not sustainable at all. you got to be able to hit – maybe not over – no team can hit well over nine innings. It's almost impossible. But you got to hit well over five innings. you got to do it. You're not going to win these important games if you're not going to. The Mets have played a lot in their division so far. They do not have – you know, compared to the Yankees, for example, they don't have as much time left in the division as they do. They're going to go have to go out and play some really good teams. They have not played the Dodgers yet. They are done with the Padres, luckily. They still got to play the Giants. They still got to play a bunch of those teams in the Central. This is going to be a difficult second half for the Mets if they want to prove themselves to be more than an 85-win team that gets into the playoffs. Because to, to be the New York Giants of baseball, you know what I mean? The NFC East winner of, of, of baseball that squeezes in the playoffs because they're in a terrible division, and then they're going to get annihilated in the playoffs. They can't do that. They can't afford to do that. Or at least it doesn't look like they can. Uh, but, you know, things are looking up for the Mets um, in terms of the tools that they have. And, and Michael, I'm curious of your opinion. As, as things start to come into shape, can we expect better output in the second half for the Mets? Or is that too much to expect at this point? Do we have to wait and see what happens? What do you think? Yeah, I think you can really expect it because, I mean, you talk about a guy like Lindor. I mean, he's really hit better every single month. I mean, in the month of April, it's 189, and he's increased his batting average by like 20 or 30 points in every month. And he only is hitting 227 right now, but he's really looked a lot better. And you're confident with him in the two hole. And then when you get a guy like Nemo back in the lineup, that really rounds it out with putting him in leadoff. And 
he's key for them. So if everyone can stay healthy, I'm confident this lineup's going to be good enough. And the pitching's not going to dominate forever. I mean, Taiwan Walker and Stroman have both teetered off a little bit. They're still solid twos and threes, but it's they're not going to carry the wins for forever. And the lineup's going to need to do their job to win you ball games. And if DeGrom can stay healthy, there's a lot here that makes me convinced that they're the best team in the NL East. I just got to see him win more games and get bigger hits, timely hitting. Because, I mean, you talk about in the 2020 season, they led the league in average. They had the best average in that shortened 60-game season, but they don't make the playoffs because they, they, they didn't get timely hits. So that's really the biggest thing for me with this Mets team. Yeah, I mean, they certainly, like, should get better because everyone's coming back. The regular starters are finally going to be there. But will they, I think, is another interesting question because the bullpen, I feel like, had been sneaky really good this year, and that kind of came out of nowhere. They were like – like, that was supposed to be a big question mark. And so we've seen Edwin Diaz. This week was probably his worst week of the year. I don't know if you would agree with that. I mean, he struggled in closing out that first game versus Milwaukee. He nearly blew the, the extra inning double header game. And then obviously the Pirates game, you know, all that stuff. And so, and Aaron Loop has been an all-star caliber player. You have these performances that, that come out of nowhere. So like it, it should balance out a little bit, but to your point, Dylan, why you talked about, you know, even play the Dodgers like you haven't played the Giants yet. That's why you need to beat up on the Pirates because you're going to play teams that are better than you coming up. You can't split against the Pirates if they don't, if, I mean, even two out of three, I feel like, in PNC after splitting this series would be a failure. Like, I feel like they'd have to kind of, you know, they have to show that they are this team that we think they can be because like, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the NLCS. I, I wouldn't. And like, they have the talent to do so. And I think that's why it's so, it's so interesting to see where they go from here because they really, to lose the division, I feel like will be on them. It is theirs to lose. And there's not many other divisions. You can say that right now. Like right now, it's whatever team's going to get hot or stuff like that. The Mets will kind of have to collapse. You talked about 07. I won't, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I won't go there. But like that, that's how they'd have to lose this division. They'd have to really go out of their way because no one in the NL East is going to step up. We saw the Nationals get hot a little bit. I think we saw the lead shrink to two. And then we said, oh boy, here we go. This is where they take over. This is where the Mets fall off. And the Mets from that point on haven't played great baseball. It's probably been 500 a little bit higher and yet their lead grew because the Nats came down to earth. So it is interesting to see where they go in the second half. Again, I would be shocked if they don't win this division and I, I can keep saying that, but if they keep going 500 baseball, they're going to get tested and, and some team will have to step up and like for, for 500 baseball to be enough. I think like, I don't know about you, Dylan, and this might be too bigger picture. If they play 500 the rest of the year, if they make, a, if they win this division with 85, 86 wins and then just lose in four to the Brewers, like what do you take from the season? Because yes, you won your division, but you got really lucky. You got a ton of breaks and baseball isn't linear like that to where you're going to keep, keep improving, improving unless you add and stuff. So I wonder what you kind of like, what do the Mets need to do? Is it just win the division? Well, it's a good question because what I was about to bring up was the fact that you know, they are definitely a team that you can see easily in the NLCS, no matter how their second half goes, considering that the favorites to win this division, they're going to squeak through. And they're a team you can really favor, not only in a wild card game, but also in a short series with how good this pitching staff is. With having to face DeGrom, obviously you're losing that game if you're up against DeGrom. 
to face Marcus Stroman, to have to face Taiwan Walker, and how incredible of a season that we should probably point out here that he has had. Congratulations to Taiwan Walker for getting named to the All-Star team. Um, in a wild card game as well. And we'll see if uh, Cookie Carrasco ends up coming back. And Noah Syndergaard might be a September call-up. And if all goes well for them, oh my goodness. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, um, an, an 85-win team would be rather disappointing considering what the entire upside was of this Mets squad. That being said, uh, you know, when Steve Cohen officially bought this team back in December, early January, uh, what he had said was three to five years. And this is the first year of that. So can you take it as a complete failure? No, unfortunately. I guess you can't, even considering how much upside there was to this team right now. But nevertheless, um, this is a New York Mets team that has the ability to be really good, and they have not hit their full potential yet, I wouldn't say. The question is whether they will. And to be honest, I'm not really sure that they will at this point. It just doesn't seem like they're going to. It doesn't seem like Michael pointed out an interesting point. It doesn't seem like they want to, which is an interesting way of thinking of it. I think perhaps saying three to five years for a team that had the talent, especially after getting Francisco Lindor, to, you know, <laughs> fight for the pennant this year. Did he, he had to have said that before they got Lindor, though, right? He did say that before they got yeah. Lindor. Um, so th- that's a really interesting way of looking at things. But, so the question for the Mets is – what will things look like for them uh, come the end of the season? And, and the answer is we don't really know yet, but in terms of what things are going to look like for them, obviously they're three and a half up in the division right now, seven games over 500. So, you know, statistically things are looking good. Uh, the second half of the season is going to be interesting. You know, they're going to, they're going to go to Pittsburgh for three games after the all-star break. Those are a series. They're really going to have to sweep. They got games against Cincinnati. They got the giants coming up soon. So, it's going to be a very interesting, definitely first month of the second half for them. But we will talk about that as we get there. We are just about 30 minutes in right now, and we haven't gotten to the really exciting part of things that we want to get into right now, which is it is All-Star Week, and it's just a week to celebrate baseball and how much we love it and the stars of the game and the things we love about the game. But And for that reason, as you watch right now, hopefully you're watching the uh, the little video clip that we're posting to socials, as we typically do, as we take from nosebleeds. Uh, we are all wearing some of our favorite baseball attire right now. I'll go to you first, Ryan. Uh, what are you wearing at the moment? I'm wearing my Ken Griffey Jr. Mariners jersey. I got this a few years ago in Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame. And I thought, you know, he's he was a legend in the Derby. We've all seen that beautiful swing, those highlight videos. And I thought it was my idea. I'll, I'll take credit. I said, you know what? I'm going to wear this jersey today. Guys, you better bring it. You better bring some good baseball attire, too. So it was an easy choice for me. It was a Griffey jersey. There was really no second-guessing it. Excellent choice. What did you bring, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I got a St. Louis Cardinals hat. I was looking for something to connect to the home run derby, but I decided to wear something that, I mean, you talk about a guy that has been in home run derbies and has never won one, Albert Pujols, and has donned the St. Louis Cardinals jersey. So he has been home run derby. You think about 2005, 2007, he's made it to the semifinals and he even tried to win in one in St. Louis, but he's never done it. So, but he was one of the best home run derby contestants never to win one. So that's what the St. Louis Cardinal had for. Weak choice, just an objectively weak choice. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Well, you know, personally, I did not try and connect to the home run derby. I just threw on my, my go-to, my most prized possession. And that is my Montreal Expos hat right here. My brother got this for me for Christmas a couple years ago. He knows how much I love the throwback stuff. 
you know, and I love this hat very much. It's in my Twitter profile picture. Shout out to my friend Rashad Christian, if you're listening, uh, for taking that picture for me. I appreciate it, as always. But nevertheless, it's a week to celebrate baseball and all the things that we love about it. But tonight is the Home Run Derby. And, you know, Ryan, you and I talked about this a little on one-on-one uh, a couple days ago. But nevertheless, I want to get you guys' opinions on this. This is going to be a very exciting Home Run Derby. There's so many storylines Shohei Otani and Pete Alonso and Trevor Story and, and the comeback of Trey Mancini. It's all just wonderful stuff. Michael, I want to start with you here. Who do you think wins tonight? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to like Shohei Otani. I mean, 33 homers, he's leading the MLB. I think he's really the safe choice, and uh, it's going to be the most fun. He makes the home run derby fun to watch. That's why people are going to turn on TV and watch the home run derby because they want to see Shohei Otani two-way, the face of baseball right now, and it's an easy pick, but in my opinion, I don't really see someone besting him tonight. Uh, Pete Alonso, obviously, in there. He's the reigning champion. No home run derby in 2020, but he won it in 2019. I think he is one of the top candidates. And then you mentioned Trevor Story. He's in Colorado. You think that potentially he could put together a nice run and win it. But for me, it's going to be Shohei Otani. I think he's going to take it. Yeah, I'm going to not go with just like Shohei is just such a hype beast pick. And, you know, like he obviously is the story of baseball this year. But I, I don't think it's going to go that way. And I'm going to go with Joey Gallo, who is the hottest hitter of the bunch. He's 11 home runs in his last 12 games. And so I don't know necessarily if that translates. Like, I'll say that right now. But his swing is perfect for the Derby. Like, it really is. He's just – and so is Shoei's. But Gallo is just going to flick those balls out. And what I love about the Derby being in Colorado is we know with the elevation, the ball always flies. They've already said that they usually put the balls in the humidor to re- reduce the carry. And for the Derby, they're not going to do that, which I think is in everyone's best interest to see the balls fly. I love the Derby. I love the storylines in this too. I, honestly, I'm probably rooting for Trey Mancini to win it yeah, just because yeah. of his comeback. But for myself and to put myself on the record, I'll go with Gallo and I still hope he wins it. But there really are so many storylines and I, and I just cannot wait for tonight. Joey Gallo is my pick to win the Derby. Guys, I'd hate to give a take twice, but I'm going to because this is exactly what I said the other day. But here's what it comes down to. So much to be excited about this home run derby. Shohei Otani, this is really the first time the whole country is going to get to see him on a national stage. It's going to be so exciting to see Shohei Otani. It's going to be awesome to see Pete Alonso defend that title. He's such an entertaining guy. He just met with Donnie Stevenson yesterday to go over some home run derby tips. Wait, I got to shout out you, Dylan, because you had that tweet. It went semi-viral. So great job reporting on the Mets as always. It, it, it did, and it made me slightly uncomfortable, but I'm going to have to deal with fame as I, as I get it. <laughs> so Pete Alonzo also there, and that's a great storyline. And Trevor Story's there, there for Colorado. That's going to be an incredibly exciting thing to watch, especially for those fans that are there at the ballpark. It's going to be awesome to see Trey Mancini try and fight for this, and he has, really has a chance. There's so many storylines going, and that is why I'm picking Juan Soto to win the home run derby. Because when there's so many storylines, everyone's going to be so focused on it. And someone who is outside of that picture could be Joey Gallo, like Ryan said, but I think it's going to be Juan Soto. He's just going to get in the zone. He's going to be totally more comfortable than everybody else. And he's just going to make them fly. And it's going to be very exciting. But, you know, before we go here, guys, obviously the day after the home run derby is notoriously the all-star game. They're going to be announcing the lineups as we record this, I believe in just a, Another hour or so is when they're going to announce who's uh, the starting lineup, perhaps who also the starting pitchers are going to be. But we'll find out about that later. I'm curious who you guys think. I'll start with you here, Ryan. 
just cold turkey pick. I didn't give you a lot of time to think about this, but I want your thoughts. Who is going to be the all-star game MVP and why? This is lame to say, and I'm rooting against this almost because I feel like we have to celebrate every, every single player. And I don't want this all-star weekend to be the Shohei Otani show. And I'm a little bit worried that it's going to, because it's already been announced that he's going to pitch in the all-star game and hit. So I think he will have the biggest narrative of all time to win the MVP. All he needs to do is like get on base once and then pitch a scoreless inning. If we look at like, if we want to go back and look, usually the narratives are what get you the win in the, in the MVP voting. Mariano Rivera won it with just like a one, two, three inning um, because it was his last year and it was cool. And it was in New York and city. So like, I think the story of baseball has been Shohei Otani. He's going to do what no one else has done by pitching and hitting in the Derby. So I really just think it takes a single and then a one, two, three inning. And I think he's certainly capable of that. And so it's lame to say, I have root for like Aaron judge it to 450 foot homers and get it. <laughs> but uh, I have to go with Shohei Otani if, if I was putting the smart money on it. And if, if I was looking at the people voting and stuff like that, he'll have the narrative. He'll have the story. If he, if he just does it, his job, well, I think he will very likely wrap it up. Yeah. For my pick, I'm going in the AL East, but I'm not going to go with my Yankees. I think Xander Bogart is a really likable pick. Wow. I mean, talk about a guy who's had a great year. He's, one of the top in the bats in average, especially when shortstops and he can make the play and listen in Colorado, the ball's going to fly there with the guy who's hitting as well as he is. It's hard not to see him hit a double or a single or two or three hits in a game. So he's my pick. It's kind of basic and a lot's going to depend on who's got the hot bat that night. But I think there's a better than not chance at Xander Bogarts. You know, guys, there are so many guys who actually could win this. I don't think it's that out of this world to think Shohei Otani is going to win. And I have no problem with that. It's an entertaining game. All-star game accolades don't mean anything. It's just a fun thing to watch. And I'm all for Shohei Otani getting that time on the national stage. I'd love to see Aaron Judge hit two 450-foot home runs, like you were saying, Ryan. I, that would be great. And if he does that, it's it's all his, especially with with Yankee fans and the way they like to use the internet. But I, I'm a big Freddie Freeman fan. Uh, he's one of my favorite players in the National League East that does not wear the orange and blue. And, you know, you think about his story, you know, he, um, he had a really tough time with COVID before the 2020 season started. And I think that recovery is, is something people are going to like to see. And I, I kind of hope he does win this MVP. That would be incredibly exciting. It would be so fun to watch and not to mention that he's also a great player and a good first baseman and it would be awesome to see him win that but we are hitting about 40 minutes here so we got to get going and i'm sure you got to get going so we will let you go right now so for my friends ryan gregware and michael calamari this has been nosebleeds which is always is a production of wfub sports oh and i forgot to say my name's dylan balsama so we'll see you soon hopefully you tune in for another episode of nosebleeds next week As always and forever, Nosebleeds is a production of WFUB Sports. See you soon.